The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. Hey, this is Ellen Debenport, and welcome to Voices of Unity. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. I am a Unity minister. I'm the author of a book called Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door, and I mention that just because it's about what happens when life as you knew it has changed and you don't know what's coming next. And our ongoing guest, Ken Daigle, is in the hallway. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> How are you, Ken? I'm grateful to be here with you today, Ellen. It's a wonderful day here. Good. Uh, our, our guests for Voices of Unity are ministers, but also others who can share something special they've learned, kind of a body of work. And they don't come just one time. They stay for weeks. So this is week four with Ken, and he will be here through September. We're talking about science and spirituality, uh, which he knows a lot about. And today's specific topic is procrastination. Ken is the minister at Unity of San Francisco, but right now he's in Nashville, he went there for the birth of his new adopted baby boy, and he shared with us last week that Joshua was born with some medical issues. And so before we talk about anything else, Ken, how's the baby? Oh, Joshua is amazing. This morning, I got to hold him for the first time. Oh. So he is off of his respirator. He was on two different kinds of respirators. Um, one called an oscillating respirator, which uh, keeps you panting uh, very fast, uh, short press. It was helping him get rid of the CO2 in his blood, and that was very hard to take. So he was medicated uh, asleep most of the time. And when he came off of that on yesterday, just yesterday, it enabled him to breathe on his own. And uh, he has just really thrived. He's off of all respirators and oxygen now, and I got to spend two hours this morning just holding him in my arms. Oh. Yeah. That's great. It's a really amazing gift for this day. Uh, let me mention, before we go further, if you'd like to call in if you're listening live on September 4th, the number is 816-251-3555. And, of course, we would love from he to hear from you about the baby or anything else we talk about. Ken, I've been talking about you all week, uh, telling people that, first of all, my radio show has taken a turn we didn't expect. Uh, mm -hmm. But how interesting <laughs> it was last week to hear you talk about how you were practicing spiritual principle in this really difficult situation. And what I appreciated most is that you didn't gloss over the tears and the fear and all of the feelings that naturally might go with having a sick baby, that, that you know, I, I'm kind of on a one-woman crusade to let New Thought people know that they don't have to be positive every single minute 
it's okay <laughs> to have a yeah. bad day or a bad feeling. So yeah. well, how, how you have know, you kept I, up this I always week? say it to my congregation this way, too, is like, you know, our positive thinking does not stop stuff from happening in our lives. Mm -hmm. Just because we're holding positive affirmations and positive thoughts doesn't mean that people aren't going to get sick, that we're not going to lose jobs, that um, things will fall apart. It is the natural course of the universe. So to uh, pretend like they are not happening doesn't serve you as well, I believe. Right. I believe that our teachings and our positive affirmations are for those moments when we need them most, for those moments when there is hell in the hallway. There's mm -hmm. little hell. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, it, as we talked about last week, I was not sure that Joshua was going to make it last week. Yeah. He was seriously ill. And we found out in retrospect, uh, in hindsight, because they did a blood culture, that he had an E. coli infection. Oh. So, yeah. So he wasn't able to process oxygen and, and, and breathe properly, not only because of some physiological issues he has in his breathing tubes, but because of the E. coli infection that he picked up. Mm -hmm. So once they discovered what it was and were able to treat him and watched his uh, little body just respond and he uh, become more and more present. And at the same time, I had to walk through those fears, yeah. walk through the possibilities that I may not make it. Mm -hmm. He may not make it. And, um, and hold that while knowing that God is, is, is here in the midst. And that's when I thank, give thanks for spiritual community. On Sunday, I had a blessing. Um, rounds happen in the morning. If, um, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with hospitals, but you know, yeah. rounds happen in the morning, and the doctors all come around. And on Sunday, uh, the rounds happened early. And so uh, Joshua's little team of doctors came by, and they told us what was going on, and it was great news. And we finished at 930 and my husband and I, JD, and I looked at each other and said, we can make it to church. So we made a beeline, picked up everything, and went to Unity of Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, Reverend John McLean is the minister there. And it was just another moment of incredible blessings. It was a beautiful service and welcomed by this community. And John was so surprised to see me as I hadn't given him any notice that I was coming. <laughs> and... Uh, he, he said, well, what are you doing here? And I explained the situation. And he said, well, you know, we have a two-bedroom apartment here on campus that's available. Oh. If you and your family need it, it's available the whole month of September. And one after one, more and more doors of being taken care of just keep being opened for us. Wow. Uh, there, you know, every step along the way. I don't have to know how it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. It just know that it will. And that's to me how um, and why I loved your book so much is because I, I can't see it. I'm in the hallway. I don't know uh, where the light's going to come from or, or I can just barely make it out. But I have the faith is that I know it will work out. Right. Hmm. Of course, right. Unity's foundation is healing. And the universal principles that govern our physical healing, has that factored into your weeks at all? Mm -hmm. Jesus was all well, about healing. 
Yeah. Now, I, I actually wrote a blog about it this week on my Facebook page and, and to my congregation in San Francisco. And um, it, it was amazing to watch because, you know, I'm praying consciously aware and in awareness that God's healing work is happening in me, in Joshua, in all the instruments. But what was astonishing to watch is the love and care that all the medical team provides my son and to to us, to the whole family. Hmm. And it was really clear to me that all the miracle stories of the Bible the miracle stories, uh, the miraculous healing of Myrtle uh, that we tell in unity. All of those stories are happening daily, daily at the very hospital I'm sitting in and at the hospitals and medical centers around the world. The blind see the dead come back to life hmm. and the lame walk. I watch I'm at children's hospital. These amazing little kids running down the hall with their IV tubes, you know, their <laughs> IV stands on rollers, uh-huh. and uh, and their families and their loved ones and their siblings all coming to play with them, and the amount of miracle happening daily is astonishing, astonishing. I believe that that's the evolution of consciousness. That what was what Jesus did described in the Bible by lifting consciousness now has come into the human realm in medical technology, in understanding of physiology of, 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 of our physical being and how systems work together, and also about psychology and positive psychology and how that affects our physical being. And that's what we've been talking about a lot, is how does our mind work with, and how does our bodily systems work with spirituality mm-hmm. to make a better life, right? right. It's, I watch it all come together at the hospital now. It's, there is no separation, Ellen. There's no separation <laughs> at all. <laughs> Everything we do is our spiritual work. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that you see it that way. I've heard so many people say about hospitals, they're just full of sick people. (laughs) And ideally, they're full of healing. Yeah, they're full of healing. They're full of love. The the nurses, uh, uh, the doctors, the staff, every single one of them there. There's not been uh, – I'm astonished for how they they care for my son. Just amazed. You know – I'm in a children's hospital, right? When you go to the adult hospital, they're they're not painted with stars and rainbows on the walls. <laughs> maybe <laughs> they should maybe be. Maybe they should be, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe there should be pictures on the walls of a of an adult hospital that that they have on the children's hospital too, because I think that's when we need it most. Right. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad it's a good report. I I thought about you and Joshua all week. Oh, thank you. I really felt all the prayers. It really has made an amazing difference in our lives to know that we're being so supported and and prayed for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Joshua is on prayer lists all over the country. I'll bet he is. Yes. Our official plan today was to talk about procrastination. Mm-hmm. As 
as a spiritual practice? <laughs> well, I think it works into spiritual practice. And uh, there's an amazing story I I ran across that, uh, that, that really clued me into it. I mean, if you ask my staff, they'll let you know that I'm the king of procrastination. And as you know from working from me, you get my notes the morning of our show, not the day before, <laughs> the well, morning of, yeah. because I'm still working on them the night before and up to the last minute. But I ran across this story and really amazed me. In 1963, this young man was up late. It was 10 o'clock at night and he was staring at a blank page, a blank page. And he had to have his talk ready for the next morning. And he called down to an aide who was two floors below with some ideas and the aide rushed up and they, they worked them out. And the guy didn't get any sleep at all that night. In fact, his wife, Coretta tells us that he stayed up all night working on the address that he was going to give on the March of Washington until that morning. And when Martin Luther King got up in front of 250,000 people in 1963 in front of the Lincoln Memorial to give what we now know as the I Have a Dream speech, he was still scratching things out and adding things to his text while the other speakers were speaking. <laughs> he was making <laughs> sounds like you, yeah. Changes <laughs> in until the last minute. Wow. So much so that the words we all know today, I have a dream, never made it into a draft. Mm -hmm. When he uttered those famous words, he was winging it. Yeah. He was extemporaneously speaking to an audience of millions. And if he hadn't, some scholars debate whether we'd even be listening, we'd even be talking about this speech now. But because he did, because he did go off on a riff that spirit called him to, we now immortalize that speech as a turning point in the whole civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And it has been used to inspire multitudes of people throughout the ages now, right? But it wasn't ever written down. It wasn't planned that way. It was spirit. And that's where I think procrastination fits into our model of spirituality. It's leaving enough room for spirit to enter. It's leaving enough room for inspiration to take over. It's mm -hmm. not knowing the answer. So I have permission to procrastinate? <laughs> yes, actually. There's actual research. Adam Grant is a business school professor at Wharton. So one of the top business schools in the country. And he studies organizational behavior. And he actually says that there's been a study, he did a, a study with his doctoral students about uh, original ideas and better ideas. And so they did this amazing study. So what they did is they gathered a group of students together and they had to come up with a business plan. And the business plan was something simple. They had a old convenience store on campus at Wharton that had gone out of business and they wanted business proposals about what to do with the space. And what they did was they divided the group into two. 
the first group was told about the problem and asked them to come up with business plans to solve it. The second group was told about the problem and asked to come up with problems to solve it. But first, they were asked to play Minesweeper and Solitaire and some other video games, Mario Brothers or something, mm -hmm. for a certain period of time on their laptop computers. And um, then they had uh, to finish their proposals and submit them. Well, they had an independent group of evaluators look at all the proposals, and they just they determined that without knowing which group was which, that the group of procrastinators had 28% more innovative and original ideas. That the group that went ahead and just made their plans right away um, gave pretty stock um, traditional kind of proposals. But thinking outside of the box happened in the procrastination. What he's learned and what he's discovered in this process is that when we start a task but purposefully don't finish, don't complete it, don't uh, conceptualize it to the point of locking it in, our mind starts to mull it and we open to different ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. So that we come back to it when the time is ripe. For everything there is a season, I would say spiritually, right? Yeah. Sometimes we rush in to give an answer before we need to, the, before it's really time for the answer to emerge. And that's where our spiritual practice of prayer and meditation comes in very, very powerfully. Mm -hmm. Because I think taking it to prayer, taking time in meditation is actually uh, an act of procrastination. Doesn't that sound <laughs> non-spiritual? <laughs> but it's purposeful procrastination. Yeah. It's, it's conscious procrastination. It, right. There's a lot to unpack in what you're saying, but I want to stop and take a call. This is Anne. Are you on the air? Anne. How about now? Oh, shoot. We lost Anne. Apparently so. Looks like she's here. Now, how about now, Anne? Oh, sorry. We will have to try again. I'm afraid she's still holding. I, anyway, technology. Mm. Uh, We're not in charge. Okay. So I, I love the part where meditation can be a form of procrastination. <laughs> um, I, I would probably go the opposite way. You know, oh, I don't have time for meditation. I need to get this done. Right. I need to get a plan in place. <laughs> I need to take action. And that's what we're taught. The early bird gets the worm, right? The, that he who hesitates loses. But that's actually not true when you look at some of the research. If you look at the research of, say, innovative companies, uh, a lot of the first movers, the first ones out into the field, fail. But mm -hmm. those of us, or those who wait and survey and meditate and wait for the right timing are much more successful. I mean, consider MySpace 
or Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Yahoo or Google, right? Uh, they are are uh, first movers are great because they they blaze new trails, but sometimes they make mistakes that uh, the people who follow second and after can learn from. And so often um, we we rush in because we've been programmed in our society that you're supposed to take action, that you're supposed to right. get it done. Right. Just do it. Just do it. Just rush out and do it. Where sometimes taking the time to sit and wait is actually a better choice. It's mm-hmm. a wiser choice. And it has to do with wisdom. You know, it has to do with understanding that not everything has to be done this second. A deadline is only somebody else's idea of when something is due. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that, but let's let's try again to take a call. This is Laura. Laura, are you there? No. All right. Laura? We are just having okay. some technical issues with the calls today, aren't we? We are. Um, so... Is there a difference between procrastination and divine timing, waiting for divine timing, lining up the energy? Well, I think procrastination is using divine order, right? So as I, we describe divine order as mind, you know, is, is mind, idea, expression. Everything is expanding in divine order, meaning that it, that it is all in God. But that doesn't mean in this linear world in which we live that it's all happening on our time. So I would say, yes, procrastination is complying with divine order or aligning yourself with divine order. It's it's pausing enough to be able to see the imprint of the divine in the situation, Mm -hmm. to listen to wisdom rather than just to act. Yeah. One of, you know, Unity's fifth principle is sometimes called the action step. What it actually says is knowing um, these principles is not enough. We have to live the truth we know. And I have argued that that's not necessarily action. Living the truth you know may be backing off. It may be waiting until the time is right. Uh So... I'm I'll say I'm told to try again with Laura. Let's see. Okay. Laura, how about now? Hi, can you hear me, Ellen? Yes. How Thank wonderful. you. <laughs> Sorry right. about all that. Oh, wow. Talk about divine order. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm glad that there was a breakthrough there so the calls could come in. Um but I I did have a question and uh thank you Reverend Tan and Reverend Alan, for being here and for discussing the the two things that you're discussing. One is being in the hell of the hallway, and I love that book, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, and the others, the various aspects of procrastination. And the first one that kind of made my heart open was to ask Reverend Ken. Uh, I know that. You know, everything happened so fast with your son and then the thought that, you know, he might not make it. Uh, could you share with us 
I mean, how did you stop from going into despair? Uh, what did you have to do to pull yourself up to prayer, to to even looking at the thought, well, he might not make it um, before you knew, you know, they had a E. coli and there was something to do about it. How did what actually happened within you, Reverend Ken? I'm very interested in that. Great question. Mm, thank you, Laura. Um, wow. <sighs> the best I can describe it, and just remembering those moments, it makes me tear up. So, um, yes, because yes. it is living on the edge of not knowing. It, it's not my will of course my will was to have this beautiful young life uh, continue to live and as every parent and as every being would want and two things were going on there was nothing for me to do except pray there were medical professionals and other people in charge of Joshua's well-being, physical well-being in the world. The only thing I was responsible for was me. And it, it was an extreme example of that. I mean, that's true all the time, right? It's true mm. all the time. All I'm responsible for is me. And mm. uh, even with my, my three-year-old, uh, she's responsible for herself. I'm responsible for what I do and how I hold it. And it was the extreme with Joshua. I was on the verge. I was literally crying and ecstatic at the same time. And I just stood there next to as close as I could get without being in the way and prayed and just held that it was all good, that it was all fine. And that he mm -hmm. is fine. Not in the future, not in just the right there, that this was perfect. And I kept thinking of Byron Katie. You know, um, one of the books of, of Katie's that I read talked about a moment like that with her daughter. When they were in the hospital room oh, and Ken. her granddaughter was born. Are we going to commercial? We are, and yeah. we have no choice. Yeah. So. Remember where you are. We'll talk about this when we come back with Reverend Ken Daigle and the Voices of Unity. Thanks for listening. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them 
completely and wholly to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. Hey, we're back with Voices of Unity, and I'm here with Reverend Ken Daigle. He is from Unity of San Francisco, but as we've been talking about, Right now, he's in Nashville with his newborn son. Joshua's what, two weeks old? He's 12 days old today. 12 12 days. days. (laughs) Oh, but he is much better if you've been following the saga. Can't even got to hold him today. So Laura is still on the phone. Let me get her back. Laura, did you have anything else you wanted to talk to Ken about? Um, you know, what he had to do to actually hold space or to not crumble. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, this, then, he, then we went to the commercial. Uh, was there anything more that you were saying there, Ken? Yeah, well, I wanted to finish the story I read from uh, Katie, Byron Katie, about her granddaughter being born. And she, the granddaughter wasn't breathing. And uh, Katie was in the delivery room. And she told the story and that uh, she said her daughter looked at her and she said, Mom, you just had that look of peace that you get. 
Uh, and then after a minute, the baby started breathing. And so I, I, that moment, that story came to me while I was in the delivery room, looking at my son struggling to figure out how to breathe. Um, mm. And I just stayed calm. I cried, but I was still calm. And, and it just was there because nothing else was mine to do. I didn't have yeah. to physically rescue him. I just had to hold the space. That was my job. They had other people for that. And so understanding what your job is in, in any moment is always crucial. And yeah, we always make mistakes, but it remained positive because of everything was taken care of. Everything mm -hmm. along the way was taken care of. And, and it was just demonstrated to me moment after moment after moment. So my job became waiting. My job became being at peace because it's been 11 days of this now, of just watching how yeah. he breathes. Yeah. Watching yeah. how he breathes. Oh. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I'm yeah. just going to watch my son breathe. I'm just going to hold wow. him today. Oh. I'm going to wait and see what the next thing is. Because, of course, I want to say, okay, well, now we have to see if he can feed, if he can actually take a bottle. Now we have to see if he can breathe this way. Can we get on a plane? Can we do this? Can I get back to San Francisco? My mind goes back. And as we talked about last week or two weeks ago, that's the left brain just going, okay, so this is what's got to happen and I've got to get back to work and I've got to do this and he's got to mm -hmm. and that's not his schedule <laughs> his schedule is to take the, the baby step he needs to take Yeah. and so um, I think in, in all of our lives I can go okay what's the baby step in uh -huh. church you know in, in Unity of San Francisco we look at what is ours to do, but also when is it ours to do, right? Is it today? Do we have the resources today? Or is today just the day to start making the plans? One of the great theories, Laura, that you uh, might like that I was reading in this book of, of Adam Grant's, this book I found the stories in, and this, this concept of procrastination, is a book called Originals. Uh, what makes an idea or a person an original? is that one of the best policies is to always uh, stop halfway through a project to come up with an evaluation and to, to start again. Uh, and that uh, even in studies that they've actually done it, given a task, let people go through it, but when they make them stop halfway through the project and reevaluate it, they are 10 times more successful. That that mid-course correction mm -hmm. does us all well. So even if we start off on the wrong foot, to take time to stop and to procrastinate by meditating, by praying, by asking, is this the best way? Or what is the best way? Or is there another way? Mm -hmm. Those are mm -hmm. interjections of spirit into the situation mm -hmm. that always lead for a better result. Mm -hmm. So well, that's you know, how I like to talk about it. Really uh, that's what I'm getting from hearing you is that you did the 
one thing that you could do that was the most powerful thing you could do was to be open, seeing peace and being available through with all the spirituality that comes through you and all beings that you said, that's my job right now is to be that, even though tears were coming down your face, you were saying, I'm standing for spirit, for truth, for power. That's what I feel. That's what I felt when you talked about it. Oh. And so, uh, wow, I'm just so grateful to, uh, to have gotten to ask a question and hear this. And Ellen, thank you so much for your good work. Gosh, you're just making the world a more... <sighs> stable and beautiful place. Thank you so much for calling. It was a great question. Mm. Keep on listening. If anyone else would like to call, we are live on September 4th, 2018, and the number is 816-251-3555. So I see you grinning. Where do you want to go from here? Oh, so many places. We we talked a little bit on on the break about it too. And one of the fun little facts that I've discovered is that the ancient Egyptians had two different words for procrastination. One meant laziness, and the other went meant waiting until the right time. So there are, of course, types of procrastination that don't serve you. There are, you know, waiting to the night before to write your term paper isn't really a good idea. Or even to write your Sunday talk isn't really a good idea. But what is a good idea is uh, to leave that room. Uh, Martin Luther King, I told that story, Martin Luther King Jr. was able to improvise, was able to riff in front of all those people because he had been preparing those themes for decades. He had been giving speeches on civil rights for 20 years before he gave the speech uh, on the March on Washington. So he had concepts and quotes and ideas that he had been testing and that he got to put together in a new way and in the spur of the moment. It's not that you don't prepare. It's that you just don't lock your ideas down before they're ripe. It's like picking the fruit off the tree before it's ripened. It's not ready to be picked. And allowing that kind of invention and intervention is doesn't mean that you're not working. Just like meditation looks like you're doing nothing, right. you're doing tons, right? You are really incredibly working in your mind and in your spirit and in your brain, all three. So there's a lot going on by the, in the illusion of stillness, in the illusion of procrastination, you're really just allowing the seed to break open, allowing the sprout to develop before you harvest. Yeah, and I love what you've been saying about sometimes there's nothing to do but pray, but hold space, but be present. Yeah. That's that's what is yours to do, while maybe other people, like the medical team, is working with the baby. Yeah. It's not going to do Joshua any good for me to sit there anxious. Right. 
and he's probably he's probably very attuned to your energy (laughs) too it's like i don't need to we have another because if i get when i get to hold it i'm sorry helen go ahead no go ahead and finish that when you get to hold when i got to hold him uh skin to skin this morning Mm -hmm. right took off my shirt and held him to my chest i was keenly aware that all the energy and vibrations of my being were being in contact with his skin to skin. Yeah. And that happens whether we're skin to skin or not, but it's even more that way when the cells and the molecules of our bodies were interacting. Mm-hmm. Mine needed to be infused with love and peace and calm right. in that moment. Right. right. So you don't want to hold him yeah. into your fear. So, exactly. Yeah. We have another caller. Let's see if we can get him. This is Ray. Are you on the air? Hello. Hi. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ray. How are you today? Well, I'm very good. I've been procrastinating all morning. (laughs) (laughs) And how's that working? It's working very well. I'm avoiding uh, an unpleasant thing that I need to do later today. And... uh, but listening to you talk about it and, and kind of providing some sense of divine wisdom around it, it's helping me understand a little bit about why I'm doing it and what's going on and, and, and uh, being a little less inclined to condemn myself for procrastinating because something inside of me needs to be doing what it's doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of comforted by that. So I want to thank you both. Uh, let you know I'm here and I like what you're doing and, and go Joshua. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ray. Can I ask you a question, Ray? You said that the reason you're procrastinating is because it's a difficult situation, right? Right. It's a difficult yeah, conversation. Yeah. So when you think about it, when you're thinking about it right now as you're procrastinating about it, have you allowed... Um, other ways of handling it to come into your consciousness? That's a good question. I, I don't really even know how to how to answer that as I kind of think there is only one way. Ah, I guess that okay. but there might be there might be different ways to think about it, however. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, right, I think so that's the key. There are of course, there are other ways it could happen. So part of the fear might be that we're locked into how this is any situation. We're locked into what we think the result is going to be. Right? Uh, this is how yeah. it's going to go. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be this. When we can take time, say, I'm not going to have that call right now because I'm not ready. I'm not going to have that conversation right now because it I'm not ready is, is a great acknowledgement, a great wisdom to say, I'm not in a good enough space to have that call today. I need to put that off until tomorrow. But opening up the possibility that when we approach it differently, when we're different, that it might be different. It's just a way to open up or to crack open that seed, right? It might be a great way to use this time of procrastination to have a better result. Okay. Great advice. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, thanks, thanks for calling. calling, Ray. Well, interesting. Um, well, it, it, 
Springsteen's, I think, it's a it's a, a segue, but it's I think it's appropriate because it's like one of the greatest procrastinators in the world was Leonardo da Vinci. Right? Oh. He started working on the Mona Lisa, worked on it for three years, and then put it down and didn't touch it for another 15. He picked it back up right before his death and finished it, or maybe finished it, who knows. <laughs> he can't pick right. it up again if he had had more time. Uh, but what he was doing in the interval in those 15 years when he wasn't working on it, he was working on science about light about how light strikes objects, uh, especially spheres. He was doing all these scientific experiments with light. And that experiment influences thinking and his understanding of how to conceptualize the painting and how to use those concepts in his work. And they greatly altered two of his major works, John the Baptist, as John the Baptist is holding a sphere, and in the Mona Lisa, where it's the light is playing so differently on the black dress. And that understanding is that while he appeared he was doing nothing, he was doing that which made it genius. Mm-hmm. He was doing the work that took it from the mundane to this to the masterpiece right we can all produce work we can all get the report out we can write the book we can write the paper we can get the house in order but sometimes it takes being willing to sit in the not knowing in the unfinished in the purposefully incomplete to create something that's never been created before. But our society is about productivity. You mm-hmm. know, we, we do our job evaluations. We get our job of how much did you produce this year? How did you do? Uh, but even in studies in business, they've looked at today that companies that perform well, their own managers rate themselves at not good at deadlines <laughs> and hmm. not good at efficiency. Uh, but they are some of the highest performing companies. Uh, so that, again, leaves a, open the ability to adjust to what's going on. The flexibility in thinking and possibility. It's, yeah, and some things just take as long as they take. Um, the My book that we mentioned, Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door, I started writing on that in 2002. And it was published in 2015. Wow. So I'm kind of embarrassed by that, but it is a much better book than it would have been if I just whipped it out the first time I sat down to work on it. And I didn't work on it all that often during those years. I would come back to it periodically and be shocked at what was already sitting in my computer. Uh, But I have heard, and you probably know more about this, that when something is unfinished, we we have a better memory about it. We work on it better. Yeah, actually, there's a a Russian psychologist that identified this. Uh, It was in 1927, and he demonstrated that people have a better memory for incomplete tasks, Mm -hmm. that when we finish something, we uh, we forget about it. We actually, no reason to store it someplace. But when it's purposefully incomplete uh, or incomplete, 
unpurposefully, but just interrupted for some reason, we're able to recall it. And it sort of like sits on the back burner of our brain. Mm -hmm. You know how you put a, a pot of stock on the back burner and let it sit for days sometimes to make the perfect rich broth? If you're a cook, you know, like mm -hmm. to cook like I do, I make a shrimp stock for my Cajun foods that it's just, <laughs> it just has to be cooked for a couple of days to be really good. And uh, that is what's happening when you do a book like that, Alan, when it's sitting there. Alan Grant calls himself a precrastinator. Pre? So he's the author of this book, a precrastinator. He said he was the kind of kid in school that when he got the syllabus, wrote the term paper the first week week before you'd taken the course oh. <laughs> so that it was out of the way and done <laughs> but but he didn't learn anything before he wrote it right right but he was determined to be the best the, the super achiever good student and so when it came to writing this chapter of his book he purposefully made himself stop mid-sentence and put the chapter away mm -hmm. and went back to it later just specifically uh, when he did he remembered this quote from this <laughs> Russian psychologist who had determined it's like those kind of things which we know come back to us in that in that mindset when we when we leave it interrupted or undone it percolates it simmers in the back of our mind Right. So it it keeps procrastination has a great benefit. It yeah. keeps us improvising and it keeps us moving, keeps us tuned in to more on the topic. So you may have run into this with your Sunday talks. When you're a minister, the musicians insist on knowing your topic, usually a couple of months in advance. They want to know what you're going to be talking about so they can pick out and rehearse the music that will go with it which is perfectly valid, uh, and it forced me to think in advance about what I wanted to talk about. But once I had the topic and a title in mind, things started just coming to me through the ethers. There would be a quote or a story or something I could use in that talk. And I think it's maybe the same phenomenon of an unfinished project is uppermost in mind. So you keep yeah. working on it, even even when you're not sitting at the computer working on it. Right. That work is done. I do some of my best talks in the garden, right? And I'm talking to myself. And, you know, there's a there's some a meme I saw on Facebook somewhere or something that said, you know, uh, people who talk to themselves are more intelligent. You know, some ridiculous oh, quote I'm that they're proving that. scientifically, right? It's like, <laughs> since I talk to myself a lot, I want to believe it's true. <laughs> but I'm out there in the garden pulling up weeds and planting flowers and uh, improvising ideas and thoughts. Um, Abraham Lincoln, who arguably gave one of the most other famous speeches in American history, the Gettysburg Advest, didn't finish it until the morning that he gave the speech. I, he knew about it two weeks in advance, and he was riding it on the train to Gettysburg and gave it. But he was working out, as his secretary tells it, he was working out phrases, working out language, working out how to verbalize a concept or an idea in a way that hadn't been done before, but that captures the essence of the imagination. And that's what I think 
you do in your work and what I try and do in mine, especially on Sundays, is to take all the things that are happening in the world. And in our world today, with all the activity and the bombardment on our phones, on our TVs, in our devices, in our ears, we are constantly bombarded with and told what to think mm -hmm. and what's going on in immediacy to procrastinate and say, okay, I don't have to take action right now. To synthesize in the silence, in the stillness, is where our spiritual teachings and this idea of waiting, of divine stillness takes hold. For everything there is a season, and the wise man knows when it's time to take action. Hmm. When it's time for peace, when it's time for war, when it's time to harvest, all of those things come with that spiritual wisdom, not left brain, not just right brain, but a balance and an understanding. And um, procrastination has a bad rap. It has a really bad rap. It works well. But let's go back to the wise man knows when to take action and when not to. How do you know? I'm imagining our listeners out there saying, that is so beautiful. But how do you know? <laughs> is there a sign? Is there a feeling? I think you know by the result. So again, it goes back to my thing about evaluating halfway through. You know instantly, I would argue most of us know instantly when we overstep or, or real soon. When we go to, it feels wrong, It's uh, we're getting those looks from other people, <laughs> it's like pushing the boulder up the hill. Mm -hmm. right? it's, like, right? it's just, it is struggle. My prayer partner, when I first joined Unity, right, first became a Unity prayer chaplain, I prayed with this woman, and every day she was, um, she would say to me, right doors open easily. Uh -huh. I was going, no, but I want it now. I want it now. I'm going to force the door open. Easily, right? I was like, oh. Okay, so if the door's not opening, if you're banging your head against the door, you're banging your head against the wall, or if you're pushing the boulder up the hill, stop. Mm -hmm. Reevaluate. Is there another way to get it up the hill? Is there another boulder? <laughs> Is there another hill? Right? So I think the feedback we get is very uh, real and useful. We just don't listen to it. Oh, right. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> how do you there's get? That. How do you personally get the feedback? Um, I mean, is it just that if everything falls into place, you figure you're on the right path? Is there, or is there some physical feeling? You know, because you know, it, it's both. It's a physical feeling. I also know that, you know, this isn't easy, what I'm going through right now with Joshua. Uh -huh. but, it, but it feels right. It's not easy. It's like, oh, my God, can I do this? Yes, I can. Is this mine to do? Yeah. I'm here to help this child. And I have the resources and the capability and the wherewithal to do it. I want to parent this child. And um, so, yes, it's mine to do. 
and some of that, but I also have a team of advisors around me. I, I, you know, a dream team I've assembled, people I trust to tell me, slow down, wait, mm-hmm. not now, mm-hmm. or yes, you got this, right? Yeah. And that has taken years to develop. You know, people you trust, people who aren't out to get anything other than your well-being. They're not out to, 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 to bullshit you. They're out to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I should have said that on Unity Online Radio, but I used that word. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. It's it's so much fun having you on this show. Uh, next week we are planning to we will stay open to spirit, but we're planning to talk about our divine identity, and you're going to base that on some work by Brene Brown. Yeah, yeah. we love her. So we will be back next week with Reverend Ken Daigle and with more from Voices of Unity. This is Ellen Devonport. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.